Hello and welcome back to this special edition of the Metaverse podcast. This podcast is a two-part series that will look back at the key trends in Web3 over 2022 and examine how they will affect the investor and builder landscape over the course of 23. All this will be told through interviews with our outliers, subject matter experts selected from the outlier team of over 100 staff and organized to cover most of the different areas of specialisms and expertise across Web3. Overall, the point of this podcast is to help founders, builders, and the Web3 curious find their feet in the space and know what to look out for as we look into 23. And this episode is no different. We hope that founders coming into this space will step away with a clearer overview of where we stand as an industry and the key areas to focus on as we look forward into the future. Okay, so as part of our special edition year in review, I'm happy to welcome Amir from our token launch and advisory team called Ascent. Welcome, Amir. Oh, hello, hi. Thanks, Jamie. I'm very happy to be here. And, uh, and it's, 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 it's been a very interesting year, especially in the market. A lot of very eventful, I call it, activities happened. So it's, a very, it's been a very interesting year for us, especially in the kind of token market advisory level in Outlier Ventures. Yeah, all right. So let's get into that. Obviously... So Ascent is our later stage advisory, and it focuses on kind of the last mile, you know, six to 12 months prior to a token generation event, a network launch, and is the part of the business where we work with the kind of more mature projects. Obviously, 22 has been a challenging year to launch tokens. I know we have a number kind of in a holding pattern waiting to launch, but we've also seen how some projects have struggled across the industry either failing to launch effectively or launching and and then ultimately really setting themselves back. So you guys are closest to it. And I believe you're one of the longest serving members of the team. So you've seen across cycles, not just here in 2022. So let's get into it. A a more general level before we go into the specifics of, of token launches, obviously you guys have to consider the broader health of the market and the demand and appetite for new tokens, new assets, new networks. Obviously we're at the end of 22 now, where are we at? Do you think we are at the bottom of the cycle? Are you optimistic about Q1 in 23? Or do you still think there's a huge amount of uncertainty at, at a, a wider macro level in, in crypto? Oh, yes. Okay. Thanks. Thank you for the question, Jamie. First of all, I think we are slowly unraveling a lot more accidentally within uh, on a macro level, especially after the FTX and we start to see even Binance undergoing investigation. So that's, this is one of the first thing we look into, whether will there be any notable crisis or not? That's something we're not sure. So it could go through two different ways. If either, if it's everything recover and looks very well, we could go up into a, a much more healthier market where the sentiment will be a lot more positive. Or if it goes different way, we can be another echo of, of, of significant unpleasant events. And uh, yeah. So in terms of how the market has changed, I, I think it's quite common. Everyone knows now we kind of, wanna, we are in the market downturn, especially after Luna and FTX collapse. And the results of that, we, our crypto total market cap has dropped by 60%, effectively from $2.2 trillion into around $860 billion. However, I wouldn't just be i'm not very i wouldn't be too pessimistic about it there is a lot of good developments in there it happens very normal in a macro environment especially traditional finance also are also affected but if you look into deeper what's the real what's the reality of crypto developments are better than ever projects are more advanced we have um we have a lot of advancement the ethereum which was a success we have lots of progress of scaling solutions and we have the largest number of institutional investor uh, investment from vc especially Despite the bear market right now, compared to the bull market last year, I've been in both market. DC itself, we have around 37 billion US dollar amount of capital deployed from VCs. And that surpassed last year, which was around 31 billion. So on the macro level, it looks quite painful. But on a deeper level, if you look at the fundamentals, we are actually building very strong fundamentals. And, and we should focus on that. That's the reality of it, what we're building at Oil Adventures, creating real solutions. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and it's, there's this, this disconnect, right? I mean, of course... There's been these shocks and there's been this unraveling of leverage in the system, as you said, going all the way back to Terra Luna in earlier in the year. And then, you know, arguably climaxing with, with FTX. I think that there was, you know, we had ETH2, that was highly anticipated. It led to a bit of a mini rally, but then it's kind of, you know, flattened out again. And I wanted to know, you know, in, in these times in a bearish environment, often 
kind of capital seems to go back into Bitcoin, back into ETH. There was this whole narrative around, you know, other ecosystems, other other layer ones. Is that still strong or are we seeing seeing attention go back more towards Ethereum and, and Bitcoin? I think what's happening, it's it's more on the reason of the acidity, the volatile of the macro environment. We can see from traditional finance when things are volatile, investors tend to move into a safe asset classes. And, and in the traditional finance, people move to bond market. For example, when things are uh, volatile, if the interest rate is good, especially in recent years, interest rates been going up. But in, in crypto market, one of the safest area of investment would be usually Ethereum and Bitcoin. And that's just by human nature. When things are volatile, there's a lot of corrections or a lot of market still going on a downward momentum. You want to keep on a safe, safe asset. And once you find a dip or we kind of have a pivot of a dip, we move to, to a lot more, to a lot more aggressive asset. And in terms of once, I think. Adelaide ones are building very well. I know currently near protocol, they are doing very well. They are, I would say, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to use the word directly aggressively expanding, but I think they are on, 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 a, different, on a good path as well. And a lot of Adelaide ones are coming in into the ecosystem and we can see the need, the need for layer one. If there's anything in a bear market, it is very important to have the infrastructure for Web3 itself. So it's the, if there's anything, it's the best time to build. So what have the what have been the big positive events? You talk about some strong fundamentals. Maybe we can get into the specifics of that. So if we look across, you know, reflect on 2022 and we forget, you know, the the volatility and we forget the the kind of negative events, what have been the positive events that allow you to kind of have confidence in the fundamentals of Web3 as a whole? Yeah. So as in essence, we work kind of, if you really want to understand where we position ourselves, we kind of in the position of seed company to series A. And these usually are, I call it high profile projects. The variations can be large, a lot larger and a lot of projects are more mature to even, even in a phase where the projects are live and have active users, some even generating quite decent amount of revenue. So what happened in a bull market is a lot of fundings and a lot of investment comes in very quickly rather than a bear market where things are being a lot more careful. The fundamentals are being deep dive deeper. So the the good part about a bear market is I call it, these are the time where some of the noises projects uh, projects are being cleansed and 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 the high quality projects would, would, would stood out. The one that could actually sustain the bear market and focus on building and providing real solutions will stood out especially in in private private round raise private rounds and and coming up from the bear market after this a lot of high quality projects you can see that survive through this market are are the one that would be would definitely could change the industry and the market itself obviously we've got a load of projects i forget the total number now in a sense is it like around 17 or something like that almost 30 actually yeah oh wow okay uh, so maybe i was thinking about those that are kind of looking to graduate but so 30 live projects in in the ascent advisory what are some of the learnings of what not to do that we've we've kind of observed throughout the last year and generally what is our advice to networks looking to launch or figuring out should they launch in these market conditions or should they delay so first of all I'll go back into the learnings. I'll go, I'll go, I'll answer these questions a bit more on the second one and then the first one. I just on the basis that the learnings will be a good example. So if a project wants to launch a token, one thing you have to understand is the retail participants has significantly declined. So if you want to launch a token, you have to understand what's the objective that you need to launch a token. Previously, one of the main reasons to launch a token is to raise money, fundraise. You want to have a public, and before you launch a token, you have to do a public sale. You could do a public sale, and then you can launch a token on exchanges. However, in the in recent months, recent the last twelve months, six months, we've seen significant decline in public in public sale. For for example, right now in the last twelve months, twenty twenty two, we have one thousand one hundred twenty three around their deals, and all these projects raise around six hundred million in total. This is a significant drop compared to twenty twenty one, where we have around one thousand seven hundred deals in public sales, and they raise around in total around two billion. So. If you calculate the ratio of number of projects to amount risk, it's a it's a large significant decline. What that means is it's that is a lot less retail participants in raising money for public sale. And if your goal is to raise money via public sale, that's not the best viable approach. But if you want to launch your token on the basis that you need to have your token utility, have your product, your product is connected to your token to be utilized, or you have your product, it's connected to a token governance, this and this will hinder your project from being moving to the next level. And this is something crucial. And of course, you need a very good understanding distribution, the distribution strategy and how to navigate around the landscape. So coming back to your, the objective, why that is what you have to question yourself. And 
one of the few things we've learned is there are projects if you're you're a founder you there is always the sense of momentum when you want to launch something you want to continue building and progress the problem about this is sometimes some some founders just want to have a token out there and and one thing you have every founder has to understand you have one chance to create an impact or an image of your token of a project it's like it's basically very similar to taking company public a perception of your network valuations and the token price which is equivalent to share price so you have to you have to make sure you have a really good distribution strategy to maximize the potential of your token yeah. and i guess you know that's analogous for people that maybe need to the space it's analogous to ipos right you know you when you launch an ipo the kind of momentum of building demand ahead of it are critical to its success you can't just do an ipo without any kind of marketing or, or build up because you need to kind of create that demand so obviously it's, it's very similar and i think you know, I know more generally sometimes we've found who may have raised, let's say through SAFT, they feel that until a token is delivered, somehow there's a liability. And, and so many of them want to get, get the token launched in order to remove that liability because contractually they've delivered the token, even if perhaps it's not, it's suboptimal, either timing or price. So, and I also know maybe you could build on a little bit more projects that have gone through Ascent that have had an equity business and have been able to raise equity versus being kind of forced to launch a token are, are performing better, right? You know, more generally, they, they have bigger treasuries, they have longer runway, and therefore they have more optionality about when they when they do or they don't launch a token. Okay, so I'll, I'll come back to you. Remind me the first question again, Jamie, about that's about a project that the second one is about project that raised token and equity and they brought that to have a longer runaway. And the first one, it was about... That's what was more an observation actually is around SAFs and li the liability of launching a token. Yeah. So I think that's that's maybe fine, more of an observation. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, the, 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 the more interesting question is around this structuring piece, making sure, you know, those projects that have a strong equity business that they can raise money into alongside the token seem to be doing better in a sense, right? Yeah. So yes, I'll answer on the token on the safety. So we've one of the one of the reasons projects that are projects that raise equity with token warrant tend to have longer runway and able able to able to raise that able able to raise larger amount of ticket size or capital. It's mainly because they are they are selling equity and token in a very uncertain market where uh, token it's a lot more volatile. You if you raise with you've raised by our equity with token war and you're exposed to larger investor audience especially the one who are less recent uh, the more recent, recent first and 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 your and the structure of your instrument which is an investor could get equity will get equity and a token warrant it's it's becoming more attractive in terms of risk management risk to adjusted returns and because of this it's a lot easier to raise money this way and the more money you can raise in a in a bear market the longer runway it helps to make sure you can continue building yeah yeah. And I guess also the equity component, whilst, I mean, all equities are discounted now, whether it's listed or, or unlisted, both generally in tech and, and of course, within Web3 as well, at least there's more stability there, right? The price isn't, if you if you have a token, generally investors will benchmark that against an equivalent token and its price, which could be up or down, you know, 30% in a day, especially in the small cap. Whilst with equity, there might be one period of discounting, and then it, and it pretty much sits there, and, and you can kind of build build your base from it. So, so we've got these thirty projects in ascent. How many of them, you know, in percentage terms, are still looking to go ahead with launching a token in twenty three, and how many of those will launch, say, in Q one or Q two, irrespective of what now happens in, in the wider market? Because of that need for the token utility, we've within SN we've positioned all the projects we have for the last six months to to make sure they they are in a position where it's not too critical for them. So our goal is essentially to to make sure the projects succeed long term. So whenever and in SN we are very dynamic. We our advice and how we work with projects changes rapidly depends on the, depending on the market environment. So we position and we help all most of our projects in Ascent to position in a way that their product they can focus on building and focusing on building their product and in a way that they're no longer desperate to launch a token at, at, at the quickest time. And that way we can maximize upside of the token launch. We already we have a couple of launches in the last six months, in the last six to nine months. And and of course, some of them was not the best market, was not during the best market environment. But we have two in particular where if they don't launch a token, they couldn't have a utility of the product. And we understood that, that this is a significant need. They could not progress if they don't launch in the bear market. And they were launching during crisis of Luna and, and, and FTX, which 
which can be a bit tricky at the time. But how do we position them to make sure despite the launch, they will be able to grow significantly and su succeed over long term is to make sure they have enough capital runway for the next two years. And, and we position that, them very quickly and we kind of help them with the how they structure their runway as well. Yeah, and I think that's really important because, I mean, again, we won't go into specifics because these things are listed assets, but, you know, I know of at least one instance where we had a very convicted founder who has a very mature network and product, and he was insistent on launching the network. And his kind of mindset was, well, look, you know, we, I think in their particular case, they had like 24 months plus cash yes. runway. So they didn't need their token treasury to finance the business, and they just wanted to get the product live and they felt that the token was integral to design of the network and historically if i look and I, I really like that conviction in a way because yes okay you know everybody who holds that token includes it including the network might feel in the short term it's disappointing but ultimately if you have real long-term investors holders then they shouldn't be too bothered about the price of the token on day one a because if they're long-term they're holding it for long-term they believe in long-term value of the network but B, it's probably not vested anyway. And so it doesn't make too much difference. Even if they wanted to sell it, they couldn't. So in a way, just getting that network launch out of the way, letting it find its natural price, and then continuing to execute means that actually you're leaving a lot of value for new investors to come into that ecosystem in what is a relatively scarce amount of supply. And so notionally, that token should continue to go up as markets recover and you can build a very loyal user and investor base because you've made people a lot of money, right? Everything's incredibly depressed. And we've seen that in the past. I saw it you know, going all the way back to 2017. Some of the more high profile projects in our network, Ocean Protocol is a great example, not by design, but they ended up closing you know, their, their kind of public sale almost just before the top. They took in a large amount of capital. And then of course, market went down, everything goes down, nobody's fault. And like everybody's, their token was down 90% or something for some time. However, they had a cash runway, they executed on their roadmap, um, they were fully committed. And I think if you look into 19, it was one of the best performing tokens because it it came from such a low I and mean, it had delivered so much over 1819 that actually those people that backed it in, a, in the bottom of the bear market went on as probably one of the best investments they could have made. So I, I do really like the conviction of founders who know they're going to ship product, right? Yeah, I agree with that. I think in 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 every bear market, there's a lot of opportunity to buy to 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 support really good projects that are at really lower valuation. And, and if investors, as if you're a long-term investor who really believe in the fundamentals and who understood the fundamentals, there's a lot of opportunity to make really big returns, even bigger than in a lot of different markets. And and as what you just said, we have, there's a there's a founder who has 24 months runaway. And the, the token dip because of the bear market, given a macro environment, like every other token out there. But this founder, it's building significantly, have enough runaway, have a great team and building good tractions, weekly, monthly growth. And over long term, I think this will be significant return in the next bull market for any investor who could identify these projects. Yeah. So I mean, I guess the advice then to live networks, and of course, we've got several live networks, but I know we also do advise, especially in bear markets, live networks on how to communicate fundamentals, right? So you can move away from price, which should be a byproduct of uh, fundamentals, but how do you how do you get people to understand the fundamentals of your network in what can often be quite complex systems? Yeah, so one of the things we understood that works is of course, the basic of making people understand to have a strong community, a real community who, who understand your project and who, what are, it's always a question when I meet founders or we meet founders in Essen, founders always ask, how do I get the strongest, the best community? At the end of the day, in the end of the day, the best community are the users, people who really understood your product and who really, who are really interested to use your product. These are the, the strongest community. And in the bear market, the level of community that would engage with you would be some of the highest quality community you could get because the hype cycle is not there. There's not many noises. It's more about everyone's looking at the fundamentals. So it's really about how you acquire these users, user, user acquisitions, and how do you communicate your roadmap effectively and what you're doing. And communicating, communicating roadmap, it's important. At the same time, delivering what you what you promise on your roadmap. This is the idea of why Web3 itself exists. We want transparency, decentralization of, of things itself. And, and if, you, if, if you do it in a transparent way, I think you could be a very successful project moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's super interesting. You know, communicating roadmap, executing on it, and and that point around. Okay, look, there are less users out there, but also there's less noise, right? Because the reality is, 
it's very hard, even if you've got somebody that's, you know, really in it for the tech or they're really in it for the product or the mission behind a particular protocol. If you know you could put your money into project A, B, and C, even if you think they're shit, right? That you know they're going to pump because it's got this hype community behind it. You know, you're, you're not going to back the projects that you love and and not make money, right? You're, you're gonna you're gonna back where the hype is, and so when the hype's gone, actually, maybe really good projects with strong fundamentals can actually have the attention that they deserve. So I think that's a really optimistic way of framing it and, and probably a place where I think we'll leave it. Amir, thanks for coming on. I think really insightful. And I think we'll definitely have you on again and maybe try and do these quarterly. I think you guys are really at the coalface of what happens, kind of the end of the process, or maybe even the beginning, depending how you look at it, yeah. for a lot of these token economies that we're trying to bring to market. So thanks. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks a lot too, Jamie. Thank you for listening to this market session with our Ascent team and Amir. Keep listening to hear about how the private investor market is reacting to wider market macro events. Okay, so welcome to a special edition, end of year edition of the Metaverse Show. We've got two brilliant analysts from Outlier Ventures giving their perspective on what we've been seeing in the market from across the Outlier business. But to kick off, we're going to start really looking at, as an accelerator, how we're looking at the market, what's changed for the better, for the worse. Has anything structurally changed? about the market, the profile of founder, and what are the trends that we're inferring from all the startups that we're seeing, the deal flow that we're seeing, that we can kind of project into 23. So we've got Max and Ryan joining. Welcome, Max and Ryan. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah, I think when it, when we look at 2022 and, and going into 2023 soon, what we've seen happening over the course of the year, and a very interesting fact is that there has been definitely, as market degraded over the year in 2022, a retreat to the main core ecosystem of Web3, namely Ethereum, Polygon, and the layer twos of Ethereum to some extent. This, I think, is a way for founders to de-risk what they are doing from a technological perspective. They have done so by choice or by force, I would say. Either they were more risk-averse and they've decided to start building or move to Ethereum, Polygon, and the layer twos, or because of the event, the collapse of Luna, impact of FTX on Solana, then they actually had to move and find a new home. Coming into 2023, I think it's important for founders to really think about if they actually want to build outside of the core, a more battle-tested ecosystem. And if they do so, they should have a really strong justification for this. What do we see in terms of the volumes of founders coming into Web3? And is the profile changing? Yeah, the volume actually seems to, to remain fairly stable. Maybe there has been like moments where, especially at the beginning of this year, where there was more founders brought by the hype of, of Web3, NFT marketplaces, AR, and, and everything related to 3D. But so maybe there's a bit less founders coming into Web3. But what we can see is that the people in Web3 right now are very solid and very motivated founder. I would say the quality overall of founders have increased and they are more willing to seek advice. So they realize that there is difficulties to actually evolve in Web3. It can be technical, they can be financial, and they are willing to seek advice even if they are more advanced. So Ryan, maybe you could segue into you. Obviously, you're working in the investment team, so the part of business that engages with our investor network. So if you can imagine both Max and Ryan working at the other ends of the, this marketplace, really, of startups and, and investment that effectively an accelerator is. Do we think that founder coachability, or at least founders seeking advice around different forms of complexity, could be technological, could be business model, could be regulatory. Do we think that's stemming from a greater degree of due diligence, like a higher standard of due diligence that's being required from founders from the Venture Network? Yeah, I think it definitely is stemming from a lot of things, really. I think we're kind of past the point of, of having just an idea and be, being able to go into a market. So having a strong, you know, kind of mentor network via outlier and being receptive to senior people in the space is something that's crucial, I think, to the success of the founders, but also from a fundraising perspective. You know, I think VCs are, are, are kind of slowing down on taking bets and they're really making sure that the founders that they're working with know what they're doing. The tech is sound. The due diligence makes sense. And, you know, is is there a market for it, right? From a fundraising perspective, there there needs to be a, a large market and, and a big use case. And I don't think VCs are, are going to take bets anymore. You mentioned kind of a slowdown, slowing the deployment of capital. You know, I've been arguing for some time now that at least for now, I don't think we're in a crypto winter, as in there's still capital allocated to the space and being deployed. But like notionally, what kind of rate of slowdown do you think we're, we're seeing? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I don't think that there is a, a slowdown of capital being deployed. I think there are people still out there fundraising. Uh, funds are still highly interested in taking deals from us, from partners, from the space in general. So from, a, from an outside perspective, I mean, we're seeing more and more traditional Web2 VCs get into the space, family offices get into the space, 
people who you necessarily wouldn't think getting into Web3 and a quote unquote crypto winner are coming and institutions as well have not slowed down. So I think we're in agreement that, you know, there is there is capital out there and, and it's ready to be deployed, but in the right way, in a safe way, in a, in a more mature way, rather than just kind of spreading it out and seeing what happens. Yeah, we've certainly seen that across our partner network, you know, where it was almost impossible to not have to pray and pray and participate in party rounds, even as early as the beginning part of this year. So Max, what are the trends that we're seeing happen in 2022, you know, bearing in mind a lot of the projects that we speak to a pre-seed seed stage? that are then going to translate into the growth story for 23. I think it's going to be impossible to talk about trend of 2022 and, and trends of 2023 without mentioning AI, obviously. What I would like to specifically mention here is that the current tools that we that we have available, including the most recent release of ChatGPT, they have limitations. Uh, and we are going to come to discover those limitations during 2023, but those limitations for me represent big opportunities. The first thing that I would say is a limitation, especially when you look at ChatGPT, for example, is a centralization, which for me is a danger. When you have an AI that is seemingly more human and that you interact with that AI in a more human way, then that AI has the ability to derive more about you and more of, of your context than Google could be doing from just receiving search queries, basically. As such, that means that they have more information about you, more power over you to some extent. So I would like to see, and I think that we are going to see that in 2023, an open source version of ChatGPT protocol operated, powered by data union that will basically allow people to opt in and out of their data being used. And if they decide for their data to be used, actually get rewarded for doing so. Another big limitation when, when generative AI becomes commoditized is that a set of new problem appears around identity. Who created what? Who is behind a certain art? Is it a human? Is it a machine? Is it a human operating a machine? And, and all this will have to have some sort of like provability, traceability, and, and Web3 solution that we're building around that. But I feel like the identity solution building in Web3 will be accelerated by, by uh, all this. Interactivity is also a big one. Right now, prompting is a one-way thing. You prompt the machine, you get a result. How do you interact back with that result? How do you do several rounds of iteration over that result in a way that is user-friendly? And I think the end game potentially inside for 2023 is how do you take ownership of an AI model in a decentralized way? How do you own an agent that can do things on your behalf and that you that is not rented to you by a big corporation? The last, I think, limitation I see with AI, and, and again, I, I think of it as an opportunity, is about education. And this goes way beyond Web3, I would say. A lot of people now are scared that AI will replace them or will make them irrelevant. But I think it's far from the truth. If you are especially working in a creative industry, right now you might feel like your job is, is at risk. But if you learn to use these tools and integrate them in your daily, daily job, then you're actually going to become more relevant than ever. So I would encourage people to do that. But also, I think there's going to be a lot of entrepreneurs that are going to create solutions for people to onboard into, into the AI world way easier. Yeah, well, obviously, you picked a topic, you know, it's close to my heart, right? It's, it's one of the ones that excites me the most. And I think you're absolutely right, you know, questions around truly open AI, you know, what that means, debates around uh, permissioned and permissionless, you know, the kind of safety argument is is still that the kind of main line of defense for closed proprietary technologies, or at least restricted. Ryan, what are you seeing? What trends are you seeing? What are the verticals that investors are telling us they're interested in and, and how are we kind of responding to that in, in some of the thinking around our programs and, and the themes that we're going to be exploring in 23? I'm definitely excited about AI. I think it's a new sector. I think people are excited about it. I think the market's excited about it. When I think about 2022 trends, I, I think we were getting to a point where there was a lot of spinoffs, a lot of marketplace plays, a lot of wallet plays, you know, kind of a lot of really spinoffs. And so I think AI has really brought innovation to people's eyes. Like wh what else can we do with this technology? What what new startup can I create? How can I use AI in Web3? And so I think moving into 2023, we're going to really see a big innovation phase. And I'm excited about that. I, I think it, it's good that founders can now get out of a marketplace play or a wallet play and, and really start using this technology. And I think VCs are, are hungry for it, right? Venture capital has always been at the heart of exploration, new ideas, new technology. And so I think we're going to see you know, a, a lot of new ideas and things that we haven't really seen before in the market come to life because of this technology. I think one of the, uh, you know, when I think about fundraising and kind of business development side of things, I think 2022 was the year of the brand partnership theme, right? You have a company and you have a big brand. And I don't think that's going to slow down at all. If anything, I think in 2023, you're going to see a lot, a lot of big brand partnerships happen. I think it makes sense from a, from a fundraising and from a business development standpoint, having a web two company with a lot of customers and great IP 
parted with an innovative Web3 technology company doing something great, it, it makes sense. And it's how this industry and how startups are going to get into this space more effectively rather than just a Web3 company and a Web2 company. So I think the, the brand partnership theme is, is what we're going to see moving into 2023. I think VCs are excited about it because of the possibilities and, and the scale that it provides. So, so I'm really excited to, to kind of see AI really dabble in that space and, and see some brand partnerships happen because of it. Yeah, I mean, I think whilst, of course, Web3 is now arguably for the first time very strongly coupled with a wider macro environment and not really kind of going to the beat of its own drum, clearly it has its own innovation triggers that can kind of kick off a whole new cycle, whether that was ICO 17, whether it's DeFi summer. And so the question around what is the next innovation trigger, could that be generative AI and AI? Obviously, already lots of experimentation in terms of generative AI in collections, but how can we go beyond beyond that and into new domains around agent-based systems? Max, I know a big area of focus for us across the network is ZK, zero knowledge. Could you talk a little bit about that trend, why people are excited? The reason why people are excited about ZK is that it brings to Web3 a component that, that has been missing since the beginning, and it's also by design, but it's privacy or optional privacy, I would say, because we know that 100% privacy is something that that regulator are not willing to accept at the moment, but having the optionality of privacy is, I think, a way more realistic things. So people are excited about the idea of being able to remain private, but being able to prove that they've not done anything illegal if, if it's necessary. And ZK basically brings this possibility, I would say. There's also another component to ZK, which is obviously scaling. Some people mention ZK as the end game when it comes to scaling. I think certainly at, at OV, we have that mindset that ZK really brings a lot in terms of scaling. So you can totally transparent application that, that don't include any element of privacy on top of Starkware or ZK Sync, but that would use the, the scaling capability of, of ZK. So overall, there's a lot of excitement about this, this technology. What we've seen right now is that there are a lot of founders getting interested in, in ZK technology, but it's still kind of like a slow start, I would say. The main reason is that the tools that you need to, to use to build in ZK are not always the most, not as user-friendly as you would have on other ecosystems. So there's a bit of a barrier to entry. And also in general, there is not that much cryptographer at the moment that are very proficient when it comes to building ZK proofs. So if you have a good idea for a, a privacy focus that would use ZK proof, you still have the challenge that you need to actually build those ZK proof and not that much people can do that at the moment. So I think we are still early in the development of, of everything ZK, but definitely the, the, there is a certain a strong, let's say, future ahead when it comes to ZK with what we are seeing now. Very cool. And maybe just to kind of close off on that, we are midway through recruit in a recruiting cycle for ZK in, in, in Q1, right? Could you maybe just tell us a little bit more about that, that program that we're launching and some of the partners that we've got? Yeah, it's actually very exciting because we are partnered with all the big ecosystem in ZK right now, ZK Sync, Immutable, also even up-and-comers like Aleo, like Aztec, which are more K privacy focused. These partners will actually participate in in our base camp in the capacity of, of kind of like yeah mentors to, to the startup that we will be working with. So that means that it will be the opportunity for the startup that are participating in, in this ZK base camp to be exposed to these ecosystem, to have visibility and, and benefit also from guidance from a technical point of view to a certain extent. This, this program, as I said, will focus on privacy solution, but also founders leveraging ZK rollups as a scaling solution, actually. And yeah, the program, I think the start date is, is for the 23rd of January. Yeah, great. So make sure you apply to that at liveventures.io slash Basecamp. Max is probably one of the people that you'll, first people you'll speak yes. with when you make that application. So at least you've already got a, a friendly face. Guys, thanks so much for coming on. I, for one, am really excited about 23, almost despite 2022. I think whilst, of course, the markets are still a little screwed and, and there's perhaps still some more late drama to come in, but even before the year closes, as you said, Ryan, huge amount of demand coming from enterprise, some very strong go-to-market partners, distribution partners coming through. And you both hinted at some potential innovation triggers that could catalyze a new cycle in the context of Web3. So thanks both for coming on and we'll try and get you guys on a little bit more regularly now as we try to platform analysts from across the business to show the kind of depth and breadth of bench that we've got. But thanks guys for coming on. Thanks so much, Jamie. Thank you for listening to this session with our investment and fundraising team of Max and Ryan. So next up on this special edition, Year in Review 2022, we have Dino. Dino is from our legal and regulatory team. He is a legal associate and is trying to help us and our portfolio navigate the complexities of this kind of mishmash of regulatory soup globally. Welcome, Dino. Looking to chat. Looking forward to chat. Hey, Jamie. Thank you for having me. So, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. We don't have time to talk about it all. 
on the one hand, on the surface, this might feel like a dry topic. Actually, it's one of the more interesting in the context of Web3 because of its complexity and because of its importance. Obviously, as an accelerator, we're helping founders navigate risk. That could be technical risk. It could be business model risk. But of course, the really big one, the important one, the one you don't want to get wrong is regulatory risk. And whilst there's been some progress in a kind of global sense, there's still a lot of ambiguities, right? There's still a lot of unknowns. And so I'm looking forward to exploring some of that with you. But maybe we kind of, let's look at 2022 first, and then we can kind of look forward into 23 and beyond. So could you maybe talk us through some of the more significant events in 2022 and what we can infer from them, what precedents have been set? I'll try. Um, Yeah. And I should say here at the outset, as every legal person says that nothing that we're going to discuss should be construed as legal advice. So 2022 probably will be remembered as the year when the Web3 industry transitioned from, you know, adolescence to adulthood, from a regulatory standpoint, at least. And this transition to a more mature state has occurred in a rather painful way. So in a nutshell, In 2022, we saw transnational regulatory bodies sharing lengthy papers, and I'm referring to, you know, the Bank of International Settlements, IOSCO, the IMF, the Financial Stability Board. These are kind of standard setters that are in a way setting the foundations for how the global financial architecture should be designed. And it's interesting that they decided this year to be so vocal. At the same time, we saw the undisputed giant of the global economy, the United States, sinking into kind of a of a of a spiral since President Biden, you know, issued the executive order on digital assets assets in March this year. You know, with policymakers on the one hand coming up with a number of initiatives arguably creating more confusion than actually solving the problems that exist in the industry. And regulators engaging in a dispute, and I'm referring to the SEC and the CFTC regarding who is going to actually regulate digital assets, a rather whimsical display. In the European Union, you know, it's known for its overly complex architecture and legislative processes. We saw it finally agreeing on on Mika, the markets in crypto assets regulation, and all sweeping laws seeking to regulate all aspects. Of the, of the ecosystem. We saw the UK government, or should I say governments, propagating the news of the UK becoming a crypto hub. And in fact, we've seen some important initiatives towards this direction. And finally, we saw, you know, regional powers in the finan- in the international financial, in the, in the arena of international finance, like Switzerland and UAE, either playing the role that they have been playing, and I'm referring to Switzerland, of, of the most mature place to do business, or trying to, you know, enter the space, break into the space with a first of its kind regulatory agency specifically dedicated to Web3. So it was a very exciting year. On the flip side, the industry, you know, faced like a number of disasters with worldwide ramifications from the collapse of Terra Luna to FTX's catastrophic failure mode. So these collapses, at least for me, indicate the need for better regulation, but also the need for the industry to, you know, safeguard itself from bad access. Take all these combined. And now you know why founders are having a hard time with regard to making like informed decisions regarding, you know, business registration, authorization with this. So Web3 still in most parts of the, of the world is still kind of an imponderable conundrum when it comes to making informed business decisions. Amazing summary. So, you know, if we look at that year, that shift to adulthood, was it shift to adolescence or adulthood? Adulthood. Adulthood, okay. Yeah. Do we, and we, we look at that relative to other years, you know, previously, if you were a Web3 startup or you were looking to issue a digital asset of some form, you were almost forced to do that offshore, right? So outside of the US, outside of Europe for a degree, or the European Union, and in jurisdictions like Singapore, as you say, Switzerland, some of the kind of Commonwealth islands in a, in a UK context. Is that still the case? And I know that some of those environments are becoming even more advanced. Cayman, for example, we, we, we're very close to as a jurisdiction. I know UAE have VAR, virtual assets, and they're looking to be publishing various things, new policy. So they're still players, but at the same time now, these larger jurisdictions, ultimately where the people who are buying or trading or holding these assets reside are, are kind of catching up, right? And I think for a long time, people were looking to the US to lead. It looks like Europe's kind of 
done its own thing. How is that landscape looking from a from a jurisdictional perspective? If you're a startup, do you still think that the preference and the clarity is is offshore, or are these kind of onshore jurisdictions looking a, a safer place to to domicile, set up, hire people, and issue assets? So. Let me preface that by saying that, you know, there is, at least in my opinion, like an irreconcilable tension between two forms of technology. So you have a new technology, and this is Web3 and digital assets, and then you have an old technology, and this is our legal systems. So you have the latter actually lagging behind, and this is because of its design logic. It's paper-based. And at the same time, you have a technology that runs, you know, in, light, in lightning speed. So for 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 regulators there is always a dilemma of you know how you're going to reconcile this tension between an old technology which is our legal system and a new technology and to me i think we should go and uh, this is obviously a very high level assessment with a principle based approach that you know it's clear in in its design logic and it it, the, the the outcome is a, is a is a regulatory framework that fosters innovation, and of course, you know the, the U.S. is the first historically regulated market, like the the, the U.S. Securities Act in 1933, which still applies to digital assets almost a century later, was from a, a, a legal point of view dramatic innovation, but. You know the the common objectives still apply. This is this is a fact. Like we want market fairness, we want integrity of the players involved. We 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 want to protect investors. We need like systemic stability in a way. However, the way the way the U.S. sees the 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 the, the, the token market, if you if you want us to be specific, I think it pushes people to going offshore because it, it, the use of of fuzzy logic that the, specifically the the Howey test. This is this is the tool that regulators and judges judges have been using to to assess the validity of token offerings in the U.S. has causing problems both to startups and and investors. It actually discourages them from building in the U.S. So I'm afraid that this is not going to change. And recent case law showcases that there is, you know, what what I what I described, a vague environment in in the U.S. So I I, I think that you know going forward, start startups will still have to employ like a corporate group structure with you know the, the main entity being in the U.S. But for the token issuance going offshore. Interesting. So, but there are there are kind of some big things going on right now. So, one is of course the XRP and, and Ripple case, and there's various noises about where we are in the process with that. Some people are, I don't know whether it's guessing or they have some kind of inside information, but the idea is that there'll be some kind of conclusion to that, even as early as before the end of this year, which would set a significant precedent either way. I think the second thing is post FTX. We've seen a lot of what I think is congressional hearings now, where there does seem to be reasonable, logical understanding of the nuances of what happened with FTX, that FTX arguably, aside from being fraud, was a byproduct of pushing companies into environments where they could carry out that level of fraud because of the, the lack of oversight whilst having an impact on the US citizens. And then and the third one is this kind of constant, as you say, debate between CFTC and the SEC, but I think the CFTC recently have expanded the digital assets that they classify as commodities, and it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, and there was a third one for the first time that's been, in, and, and Stablecoin, I think it was USDC, which they've classified as a commodity. So those three things feel pretty significant. How do you how do you look at that? Have I missed anything? And, and do you think those three things are going to be the kind of drivers for what happens in the US next? Sure. You know, I, I, being on, on, on crypto Twitter and specifically in a niche area within crypto Twitter, let's call it the legal crypto Twitter, I, I can say that my, my colleagues in the US, US attorneys and legal advisors are very worried with the direction that things are, are going. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And this is something that you know, you have to be a prophet to know what, what, what what's, you know, down the road in 2023. As you said, we're, we're expecting lots of case law to be published, and this would shed some light. There is the Ripple case, there, and many, I mean, we have active, active cases going on on many fronts, whether that is insider trading for NFTs, 
or uh, you know the offering of unregistered securities. The thing is that the, the current pairs of both the, the the SEC and the CFTC are not willing to you know sit on the same table and discuss with the industry you know in order to secure secure the US at the front front a forefront of 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 web3 and it's a little bit it's a little bit alarming that the prominent the prominent figure of the industry was was SBF i mean the prominent figure discussing with the regulators and one of the initiatives that is currently let's say pending is is one that was backed by EF so i would i would say that still the situation situation in the in the us is a little bit unclear whereas in the us in the eu we can we can see clarity coming next year with with mika and this is something for you know founders that, that founders should consider yeah i mean look at the end of the day people want clarity in ambiguity there's risk and ultimately if you for example as an advisor are unable yourself to feel confident about the US then and you understand all the nuances then that just makes it even even more difficult for a founder thinking about where they're going to incorporate and ultimately generate gdp growth right i mean that's the crazy thing about this if you remotely think that what we're talking about here is web3 i.e. the next web paradigm presumably that's where all the gdp growth's going to be coming from and so to not have a perspective on that or a strategy towards it as an industrial strategy feels almost suicidal but hey you know what do i know so let's let's zone in on tamika because i know on the one hand it offers clarity on the other hand i know that some of your kind of colleagues in the space have a there are difference of opinions upon how progressive it is could you maybe give give your perspective Yeah so Kai's a regulation of tokens and centralized crypto asset service providers it was originally introduced in 2020 and you know following a lengthy discussion in the various regulatory and legislative bodies of the European Union it will enter into force in 2024 so we still have a, a a a long road ahead but the the thing is that for sure this is going to be the first i should say multi-jurisdictional framework and it's very ambitious still we 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 need more you know clarity in terms of regulatory guidance and implementing implementing acts that are going to you know shed some light on specific areas like nfts or or defi some people are even discussing the arrival of of a second mika already but for the first time we're going to have like a comprehensive framework that is going to regulate tokens and 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 businesses and i think this is kind of a breakthrough especially for european founders who are more or less you know less favored by by their national by their nation states anyway with regard to how they they have been fostering innovation now all european founders will have the same laws that are going to apply to their business and i think you know every every firm which is going to be within the scope of mica is going to be will will enjoy like a very beneficial regulated environment so as you to to your point i i this is my let's say this is my feeling you is going to take the lead and i should say europe in general with the uk included is going to take the lead with regard to who is you know leading innovation from a regulatory standpoint so we can we can we can you know we can we can spot some deficiencies like how is going to to apply, how is mika going to apply to defi for instance or will mika regulators in the eu decide to apply kyc and aml to hosted wallets so all these things are going to unfold but the 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 the, the, the certain thing is that we have more clarity than we used to have like two or three years before yeah and i think if we circle back to the point that you made earlier which is one technology trying to keep up with an exponential technology you know the legal system and law trying to keep up with what is effectively an exponential technology is almost an impossible job and the fact that you said mica won't come into force until 2024 it's probably been in design for a couple of years you know what will web3 look like in 2024 i mean even we couldn't predict and it's our job just to do that 100 plus people so how how is it possible that a policymaker and can create frameworks for a future for an exponential future and it's interesting i had on the podcast i'm not sure it's been out yet but the the global and european leads for legal and regulatory for ripple on the podcast and they're actually championing the uk specific because of the coordination that's required with mika it allows for a kind of post brexit uk to look at 
how the market responds to something like Mika. It gives it almost a two-year head start, and it can then create a more competitive solution based upon the strengths and weaknesses, it can be more agile. Now, they were talking specifically about the UK, but you could equally apply that to UAE and any other smaller jurisdiction. So I guess on the one hand, it's, it's great that you have these big blocks, economic blocks, jurisdictions, whether it's the US and Europe, hopefully begin to kind of bring greater clarity, move at a kind of slow, almost glacial pace, but consistent and progressive. And perhaps you have, you know, more dynamic, smaller jurisdictions, which can can react and perhaps innovate that can be then be reverse engineered back, I guess, into kind of these bigger jurisdictions. Is that how you see it at a system level? Or am I talking nonsense? I, I I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a it's a novelly complex discussion anyway. So we all have the the benefit of the doubt when we're discussing complex systems, both you know in their future instantiation and retrospectively. So I would say that specifically ambitious because it it, it defies like traditional regulatory and architectures, and this is a little bit tied to the the whole EU project. And hopefully the UK is moving to the same direction. And what I'm referring to specifically is, you know, principles like territoriality when it comes to national authorities and regulators trying to regulate systems, financial systems, assets and technologies that are by design, you know, global. So from from my from my from my point of view this this is inevitable for you know a legal system to always a little bit decelerate the process of innovation but this is the price that essentially we have to pay and our job as you know legal engineers if you if you if you want is to reduce the friction and ena- enable builders to actually go through the loophole and design solutions that you know defy this fundamental tension between a legal system that is very slow and at the same time an exponential technology like digital assets and and and, and web3 and i think eu both the eu and and, and the uk ha- have shown that they're willing to you know take that risk and currently they're they're trying to figure out what's the right way moving forward and i'm i'm very optimistic about the uk as well it's just that the the, the 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 environment requires a little bit of a extra drastic measures that need to be taken. Yeah, and foresight, right? Rather than just looking in the front of your nose, which has been the problem for the UK for far too long. Dino, look, amazing conversation. I'm I'm sure people found that very enlightening, and I think we'll definitely get you on, you know, on a quarterly basis to kind of assess where we are, seeing case law precedents. I'm sure there's going to be a slew of them coming thick and fast in Q1, Q2. So thanks for coming on, Dino. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for listening to this section on legal and regulation. This concludes the first episode of the series. Head to the next episode to learn about how Outlier is reacting to these larger market forces. If you enjoyed today's podcast please make sure you subscribe rate and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of web3 